You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy thirteen series game club podcast. This is episode 8, covering chapter 11, and I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... This is Graham Markison. I'm Matt Marcus. I'm Justin Vortnick. We uh, ended last episode wrapping up the incredibly grindy chapter 10. Let's check the data log for a refresher on what happened last time. The Falci hoped to restore their world with the help of the Maker, but calling back the lost divinity requires the energy generated by the deaths of millions of people. Now the beings who built Cocoon as a place to nurture their tribute seek to manipulate Pulselessy in the final stages of their grand scheme. Lightning and her friends have been monitored and assisted by the Falci from the very beginning. Even their clashes with the military have been carefully orchestrated to ensure their survival. Countless Sanctum soldiers, unaware of the callous Falci's true objectives, have been thrown into the jaws of the Lassie in an effort to nurture ever stronger beasts. Knowing this, there is no clear path for the Lassie to take. Ignore their focus and become Seath, or give in to the Falci and condemn millions to death. Their only hope is to trust their own strength of will. They have to follow Rain's noble example and Sarah's parting wish by going through with their plan to protect Cahoon. More determined than ever after the battle with Bahamut, the Lassie bring their journey to the untamed world of Grand Pulse. Before we start the episode proper, I have a quick programming note. In this episode, we are not going to be discussing most of the enemies found on the main Grand Pulse area. Missions, grinding, weapons, or any post-game related stuff on this episode. The chapter is already incredibly long, and we will talk about that stuff separately on what will probably be a two-part episode. uh, One part being Grand Pulse generalities, and the other being the post-game. So, we start the chapter with a CGI cutscene that introduces Grand Pulse with lots of shots across wilderness and ruin. Pulse is a brutal, savage world where it's a fight just to survive. It's inhabited by many monstrous creatures, and in this cutscene we get to see Dehaka, a strange flying foul sea, and Titan, a gargantuan foul sea, and we also see, uh, uh, we also see another foul sea rolling through the earth, digging tunnels. Hope is gathering coconut-like fruits while the others are exploring parts of the valley when the Chickabo arrives and is panicking about something. The Lassie heroes venture off to see what happened to Hope. I really love this cutscene a lot. It's very good. It makes Grand Pulse feel very alive, like a place with a real ecology and, like, history, and it does it almost entirely visually, which has been a real strength of the game. Yeah, I agree. This cutscene... There's so much that happens in it. Like you see a, a chocobo get taken down by a bunch of the the feral wolf like creatures. I can't remember their names right now. How could you not remember the word Gorgon Soapit? It's so natural. Uh, I know. I believe it's actually Gorgon Napshit. Fuck. But yeah, it's like a real, it's a real uh, prehistoric creature. Yeah, I think this is the first like chocobo death on screen for a Final Fantasy. It's it's brutal and it makes the point, but like that's real cool. Uh, Titan straight up eats an adamantois 
like drops it in his mouth from which is really good. And and it also shows you, yeah, the Falci. It's very much like the intro to Dark Souls, where you know you're going to meet these guys later. And I like that they introduce him up front. I think this is the best cutscene in the game. Uh, oh yeah, because of how it conveys a sense of scale, specifically that part with Titan and the Adamantoys. Because you haven't seen any people yet, so you don't have any idea how big that Titan is or how big the Adamantoys is. You just know, okay, there's what looks like some sort of like giraffe thing and a bigger monster ate it. And I think that this pays off really well once you get to the open, I believe they're called the Calmlands area of this. Of this. Oh, the Archolite Step. Yeah. So we'll come back to that, but I just want to say, keep keep in mind the relative sizes of Titan and the Adamantoys, because you have no idea how big they are compared to you. Speaking of things to keep in mind, apparently Vanille can talk to the fucking Chocobo, right? That, or she makes the most <laughs> preposterous logical leap from some bird chirping to, oh, Hope is in trouble. Lassie, what is it? Did Timmy fall down the well? Yes. Did Timmy collapse in a in a stream with coconuts from heat stroke? <laughs> uh, it's it's so good. There's just so much that happens. So you get control again, uh, going to uh, find hope, traversing an area called the Valis Media, and it isn't very hard. There's uh, enemies called the uh, Alarunes or Alarunes. They're pretty much the same thing as the slugs in the fifth arc. There are flans here too. They also can merge to become. A dire flan, but I never actually had them hang around long enough to do that. They find Hope unconscious by a stream. Later on that night, when Hope rests and recovers, the others have a conversation by the campfire light. They're unsure of what to do or how to escape their lassie fate. Finally, Vanille brings up Oerba, Fang of Vanille's home village. During the cutscene, we see that everyone's uh, the eye on their brands is halfway open now, so they are like definitely running out of time. Note that. Right now, the data log only goes up to day 13, even though we're definitely on day 15. Like, they literally just slept overnight, and they definitely took a break in the middle of chapter four, you know, with uh, Vanille and Saz and that weird sleeping thing. So they just stopped counting the days. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> they just really wanted Final Fantasy 13 everywhere. Oh, it's because the moon is going to fall if you hit a certain day count. So, you know. Uh... Hope awakens and wishes that they'd go on without him. He feels weaker than them and considers himself a liability and doesn't want anything to happen to them because of his failings. Then, a force awakens inside Hope and his Eidolon is summoned. Alexander is a mighty armor giant and Hope is told that the mighty giant is a power within himself. Alright, so I have a problem with this all of a sudden and I didn't realize it till just now. Because Hope's entire character arc, besides being mad that my mom died, is that I feel weak and over like eight chapters just became empowered. And now all of a sudden we just nullify all of that again so Hope can arbitrarily get a summon and like that's bad and just gets all over all of the character work they already did for Hope. Yeah, they really should have given him Alexander like during chapter seven or something. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, because he he doesn't really do anything for the rest of the plot other than just be supportive. Well, that's the Final Fantasy way. You have your character arc and then you do nothing for the rest of the game other than agree Mm -hmm. with whatever the main character says. Yeah, 
And it's also really, it feels really forced that he just passes out for no reason. And they never explain why. They never talk about it. They're just like, he's just face down for some reason and like needed a nap. He got KO'd. It's a plot nap. It's a plot nap. <laughs> so, Alexander, you're forced to use Hope, Lightning, and Fang. And in this Eidolon fight, the player must accumulate chain bonuses and buff allies and heal allies to build the Gestalt Gage. The other Eidolons. Alexander shifts between a physical attack combo and doing nothing, offering an opening for the player to attack. Although healing and buffs help the Gestalt Gage, uh, you really need to build the chain gauge on him to win. And uh, you need to time out when to switch your paradigms during Alexander's attacks. At the end of this battle, Hope gets his Idolith and an extra ATB gauge. Hope, Fang, and Lightning weren't in my main party, so they didn't have great weapons. This battle was actually a challenge for me when previously I've had pretty good times with the Adolin battles. Oh, dude, it's not just you. This is a very hard fight. This was my main party. Uh, we were coming up on, like, maxed tier 2 weapons for everybody, and I still finished with 30 on the clock out of 1,800. Yeah, mine was definitely really near the end, but... You know, we're going to come up on an even harder idol on fight. So, like, this one just pales in comparison. Oh, hardest fight in the game. Yeah. With a new destination in mind, the heroes begin their long trek to Oerba. Step. This is the first place in the game with a sense of openness. Literally, up until this point, the game has been a hallway, right? So we finally reached where most people said, oh, just get 50 hours in and the game starts. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I heard that a whole lot because I came to the game late and read a lot of the background to it before going in. And everyone said, like, the game doesn't start till 25, 30 hours in. And that's what and they mean, chapter 11. Yeah. So this place is huge and big and wide, and there are actually locations and paths to explore and a bunch of treasures. And I, I joked by calling it the Calm Lands, but that's kind of what this is, right? This is like a version of that giant open field from Final Fantasy X, with mm-hmm. not a lot in it, but there are some notable landmarks. And a bunch of enemies to fight, including one that is probably way, way higher than your party's level. Uh, in this case, the Adamantois, which you finally get to see... And you realize that you are to the Adamantois as the Adamantois is to Titan. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, they have, like, a metal, like, shoe on their hoof, like a horseshoe, and Mm -hmm. that is taller than you. Right. So this is when it hits you how big Titan is. Yeah. They they were definitely a mount of some sort. Like, you could see chairs on some of the the models, so you, like, would sit and ride it like an elephant. But, like, the sense of scale here is just... Absolutely breathtaking, especially back in 2009, 2010. 
And it still feels very impressive because there's just, you know, you look across the step and there are five different enemy mobs just doing their own thing. And some of them are fighting each other. Some of them are not. But, you know, I ran around this area a little bit. But I was kind of in a rush, so I didn't spend a lot of time here. But almost every fight totally wrecked me. Like I could fight yeah. like the basic dog mobs. But, you know, I, I tried to fight some imps that are in a circle about an item. And during that fight, they were so tanky, I couldn't kill them. And two of them summoned behemoths. <laughs> there were two behemoths oh. in there on top of all of the yeah, no. other ones. So oh. I, I noped out super hard out of that fight. That's cool. Immediately inside this area, you could see, like, the Gorgon Stoppids fighting a behemoth. And I just immediately got dunked on. Like, first fight you can get into in this area and just obliterated yeah the king behemoths are no joke like i thought i might be able to take one but they start casting like thundaga or thundara or something and that does just so much damage that you just can't handle it and they have that overhead cleave that's like seven thousand damage oh yeah no they're tough should i talk about like seeing titan oh yeah yeah. definitely do that what else are we going to talk about it i have a good joke that relies on you saying that okay as you're walking around the arch hill to step in the distance, you can see that Titan fallacy, and he is just a ginormous rock humanoid. When I first saw him, I wanted to fight him, but shamefully, you cannot. The devs couldn't have the player fight something so big because of engine restraints, which is a shame. The most notable thing about Titan for me is that his head is so tiny compared to his body. It's like a Chia pet on top of a refrigerator. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like Chris Redfield in Resident Evil 5. Mm-hmm. It is really, really goofy looking. Yeah. So what you're saying is that you you couldn't achieve your attack on Titan. No, no, it could not could not step to this weird like peck elemental, which is what he is, right? Like his entire like shoulders and his pecs are so big they overcome his entire neck. He, he looks a lot like the uh, oh the giants in Final Fantasy VIII, like the Red Giant and the Iron Giant. It's just kind of a similar design. It's so cool, though, when you're running around the the step and every once in a while you could see out of the corner of your eye over the horizon that Titan stomping around. It's just, you know, just enough of a glimpse to just see how small you are compared to it. Yeah. Speaking of big things, when I first saw an Adamantis, I said, that thing looks like it could kill me by just taking a step. And I walked up to one. I got into a battle. And that's exactly what happened. It took one step and my party <laughs> was dead. Yeah, it, <laughs> it doesn't even know you're there. It's ju- it just continues walking, and the earthquake from its steps kill you. It's just like funny because, like in these kinds of games, JRPGs, you fight humongous enemies, but ultimately they only have you know 400 HP. Whereas later in the game, you'll fight like a little gremlin, but because it's scaling with your levels, it has like 20,000 HP at the end of the game. It's just so cool that like something that looked big and devastating was actually devastating. Yeah, and you can also sometimes just get like randomly fucked because there are packs of the uh, dog enemy running around, and sometimes their path intersects with an Edmantoy's path, and they run much faster than you. So if you happen to be running by that intersection point, they will aggro on you, and the Edmantoy's will also be pulled into the battle, and then it's just like, nope, see you later. <laughs> Hit that yeah. reset button real hard. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, the, mm. the first time I came across an Adamantis was like one of my favorite moments in all of video games. You can actually take these down now if you cheese them because 
they are susceptible to, um, I think, doom, if you have that. You only get that at, like, a, like the Crusarium Path 9, and that's not until, like, after... I think that's is after it, this chapter. Not quite, okay, it's not quite yet, but yeah, you can, you can like, save scum these guys really early compared to when you're supposed to fight them. Yeah, and, you can... Uh, You'd yeah, be at the end of uh, of this chapter because that's when I got death for Vanille. But yeah, that, that's a bit of a cheese strat. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, but it's it's great when you can do it because then they, they yeah. drop like such good stuff. Like if you get a platinum ingot. That's 150,000 gil in your pocket. Which is a whole lot of upgrade material. Yeah, so there's other stuff going on here. Uh, you can just wander around. But I want to talk about Saz's relationship with the cactuars. Oh, Yeah. Oh, I just get this. these like rando cutscene where Saz encounters a cactar and he gets real mad at it because it won't stop dancing and then it runs off and nothing happens. And this is, I think, the only cactar in the game, I think. If you kill this one, they're suddenly everywhere and then there's a mission with a giant one. Yeah, yep. the, the gigantoir. But I think that that's post game. Right? Yeah, that's definitely both. Yeah, but it's it's really good because it comes over the horizon and it's as big as Titan. <laughs> yeah, it's to... very good. It's very good. Yeah, giant, giant cactuars. Does it have the? I forget. Does it have the mustache like in Final Fantasy VIII? No. Ah, no. oh, the mustache. Imagine is so if good. it did though. Imagine if I did 1080p mustache <laughs> made out of needles. It'll be made out of needles. It uses ten thousand needles, so it will of course kill your party in one hit. It's, Saz has a weird relationship with everything in this game because the cutscenes with him when you go like later on and you get to the Chocobos are also very goofy. Mm-hmm. I kind of dislike it, but only because like Saz was had such good characterization and like I don't know, man. This like goofy side thing does not land for me. But yeah, I I love Cactuars. Like the one thing that falls down about their design for me is that they look way too much like a swastika, and it makes me <laughs> a little uncomfortable. That's that's discriminatory. <laughs> Are you telling me that maybe I should to, like this is not the correct political climate to wear my cactuar armband? Yeah, yeah, especially if it's a red cactuar or a black one. <laughs> uh. So also, this is the area where players really start upgrading their weapons. I think, like for the first time, you you might actually want to start caring about your your gear. Did any of you do that? I couldn't I looked at that system and I was like this is really complicated and I upgraded one thing once and then never again. I think I'm at tier two already by now and like maxed out on that. Like I locked into my party in like chapter seven so I just dumped a bunch of stuff into that with the exception I think of being lightning because I knew I wanted a weapon in chapter 12 for her. Uh, I'm doing it because we're going to be doing the post game so I still have like another hundred hours of this game to play so. (laughs) Yeah I've been upgrading like throughout the game especially for yeah a little bit for every character more or less except for snow snow is the only one with like a level four uh weapon for me right now at the end of this chapter but yeah everybody else i've been trying to just yeah the system's a little opaque i mean we described it you know a few episodes ago you can sometimes really tell the difference just because you're getting an extra 100 strength versus if you didn't upgrade it yeah it's huge when the heroes arrive, they are introduced to seeth stones, which are seeths that have gone on so long that they have turned into a like their own prison. Their only remaining desire is to have their focus fulfilled, and luckily, all of those focuses are kill a guy. 
These stones effectively serve as hunts from Final Fantasy XII. Uh, they're much less interesting because there were cool conditions in Final Fantasy XII, right? But uh, how that works is you activate a quest, find the mark, which is on your map, and then you go kill it. These Seath stones are found all over the Arcolite steppes and basically everywhere on Grand Pulse, actually. Completing Seath missions reward the player with really good stuff. Usually a rare item, but sometimes it can be things like shop certificates. A number of Seath stones serve as waypoints, which are teleportation stones, which are going to be super useful when you come back to this area later. Many Seath stones are not available right away because they are asleep. They're lying on the ground. You can see them. But you need to awaken them by beating missions earlier in the chain since the missions are numbered. Although that's not super consistent. There are times when you'll run into a later Seath stone that'll just wake up for you, which means you should do it right away. Up on the northern end of the steppe, there is a cave to Mahabara. When you find it, you get a single line cutscene with snow, which is strange and unnecessary. I guess they're just trying to tell the player, hey, the plot is this way. But the map always has that yellow arrow that points you towards the plot anyway. So I yeah, don't know. That's what I'd assume it is. It's something just to like remind the player that this is the way to go. Right. But why would Snow know this? I don't know. Because anyone could. Well, you'd think that the people from Pulse would, but anyway. Eh. Honestly, I really like the music in this zone. All over. And not just here, but like all the waterfall areas that you run around in that are not the the giant main area. I just think that this is the best music area in the game. I think my favorite track in the game, it's if you go back to where you started in the Valus Media, but then you go off of the other direction where there's all the flowers and you fight the Triffids, there's just like that really good, like very low-key, like, just like guitar and flute song. Very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm more into the uh, techno-y bits, like Gapper Whitewood's really good. You'll notice that some of these themes are actually repeated. It's funny because I actually noticed the first time you hear the Gapper Whitewood music is actually... Isn't, yeah, yeah, the fucking ruins. It's in chapter three. <laughs> yeah. And it's really funny. So, like, if you're paying attention or if you've been listening to the soundtrack like like I have since I'm editing, you'll notice where they will throw in different themes. And it's not always congruous, but it always seems to work. Mm-hmm. The Maharabara Subterra is a long series of caves. They look like mines, but they've been long since abandoned. The player encounters cryohedrons in this place, which are ice elemental bomb types. Nothing special about them, but they're awful. They're surprisingly tanky, and you rush into like four of them at once very early in this stage. And I basically had to win a battle by turtling up and hoping the RNG was good enough that Saz didn't get, because I was controlling Saz wouldn't get hit with two bombs at once and die. So I actually won a battle because all the bombs blew up and I got zero CP out of it. That's how most of my battles went. <laughs> really? Because, like, the trick to every enemy in this area, like the Gorgasopids, the later on when you fight the the fish guys again, the Hoplites, the Cryohedrons, all you have to do is have, like, Commando, Commando, Ravager, and you just obliterate them because their health pools are low uh, and all of your Ravagers have AoE attacks. Yeah, Especially I, if you have Hope, because the AoE is enormous on something like Fyraga or Thundaga. Yeah, see, I wasn't running Hope. I was running Saz, Fang, and Vanille, and it was not not going well. Because, I mean, in that case, 
also it just I didn't have aggression set up on my uh, paradigms, and it, I just I felt really underleveled because I ran right here. Like I did one two fights before I got to the mines, and this entire like I'll get into it more with certain encounters, but. I struggled mightily here, like to the point where I thought I was going to be so stuck that I would have to grind for hours on a single rust flan for 1500 CP for like five hours to get past the the part right before the Eidolon fight. I don't know what it was. I just had a lot of trouble. And then after this part, things were much smoother. Yeah, so hot plates are automatons, and on their own, they're not too bad. They hit hard, but they are very manageable. They stagger easy, and like others of their type, when you stagger them, they are immobile and stop. And they're also weak to daze, which was a lifesaver. So if you had Fang like me, she gets Dazega pretty early. And if that hits two or three of the hoplites, you can focus on one at a time and just them while the other ones just sit there doing nothing because the real trick to them is that they have a move called system upgrade which gives them like four or five buffs all at once and you know even with two saboteurs casting dispel they could be a real nuisance and do a lot of damage very quickly but but they don't get defensive buffs so you just kill them because they have almost no hit points yeah i would even if i tried to rush them down they would end up ganging up on somebody and just punking them i spent a lot of time with the sentinel up Oh, yeah, it's like I I very rarely use Sentinel, and in fights like these, someone almost always goes down, but they get healed, and they, you get, they get the CP anyway, so I kind of just don't care. Yeah, I should have probably just dumped Phoenix Downs in and just rushed them down. That would have been much easier, especially with uh, this upcoming bit with the boxed phalanx. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good encounter. So in this opening part of Mahabara... There is an offshoot area that you can explore that has a juggernaut in it. And this is a, a big old robot that's similar to the boss that you fought in the beginning of the game. I guess earlier, not necessarily the beginning. But it has much, much higher stats. All of its attacks are very powerful. Although you can use a bar fire to ward off the fire-based attacks. It is very difficult to stagger. And you'll probably have to stagger it multiple times. It's got... A million and a half health. Yeah, this thing took like 30 minutes to kill. I definitely probably should have come back later. I passed it up because I had a feeling it was going to be too hard. But when you get that collector's catalog and your drop rate's so good. Wait, that's the prize for it? I think so. That's the one. There's a a treasure sphere behind it. Oh, okay. Oh. That's where you get the collector's catalog and then you just are rolling in gill for the rest of the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, under, like I said, I had to do some extra grinding. I didn't go up this path the first time. And when I did finally double back and then go up this way, for some reason, I ended up getting a lot of preemptive strikes going straight up in front of enemies. I don't know why it felt a little like a glitch because they don't have a face. So you can't tell where they're looking. It's like trying to trying to ambush bombs is the fucking worst. Right. But I managed to ambush like three mobs with bombs in them. It was very weird. But then I got to this guy he does that one attack, like fire attack with his arms, and then I had one person dead and two of them in critical, and I'm like, this is not my time to do this. Renew is the best ability in the game. I never used it. Oh, dude, it brings everybody back to life and heals like 50% HP to everybody. Yeah, I should I should use that. I should be aware it's, that exists. And it only takes two. You can do it twice every boss fight. <laughs> 
Or you can just uh, pop a idol on and also that heals everybody if they're dead. And you can cheese enemies that are way higher level than you with your Eidolon, because when they inevitably kill the party member who's fighting with the Eidolon, the Eidolon just casts Arise. Mm. I didn't know that. Huh. Uh, it dismisses it, so you don't get the vehicle form. Okay. But given that it heals your whole party, that's basically functionally a second heal that gives you a temporary deeps boost also, and it fully heals your whole party. Neat. Heal cheese strats. That's why, you don't, that's why I don't use Sentinels. Oh my god, like, the, the speed run has so many, like, cheese strats with the Eidolon summons, like, just canceling boss, uh, boss super moves. Oh, you, yeah, I do that, I do that all the time I've now. never done it, <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> it's kind of like, it, you don't actually worry about your Eidolon's gauge running out, because as long as they're in an attack, you can, even when it hits zero, you can still transform them. Yeah, I, I ran into that once, where I thought I, I had just missed it on the on Dahaka, but it triggered anyway. I still lost that fight, but anyway. So, the real thing about the Hoplites, right, is that you can fight them with a, a boxed phalanx, which is like a big bulky enemy with like air vents for arms. They hit very hard, but what they really do is they have the ability to upgrade the Hoplites with buffs and summon new ones when there are no Hoplites left. And I, I hate these guys. Because these fights were really, really hard for me for some reason. You know, it's actually, they'll summon three more hoplites if there's only one on the field. So, like, in the first time you run into it, it's one with two hoplites. So you think, oh, kill the adds, no problem, then rush the big guy. But you kill one of the adds, and then they summon three more. So there's four on the field now, plus the box phalanx, which also hits really hard. So th this almost... Almost broke me. There's a scene where the heroes see the uh, Falci Atmos tunneling through the caves. Fang and Vanille identified as a Falci, and they note how Falci on Pulse are more individualistic and don't seem to involve themselves with humans. Personally, this like scene seems like feels like a really weird non sequitur to me. Like the only value I could see deriving from the Sonic Spinball is that we now have a name for the thing we saw in the Pulse intro. No, it's a foul C. I think what they're going for is they're trying to set up Pulse V Cocoon as like uh, urban versus rural in terms of how you handle nature and how the foul C interact with that. But that doesn't work for me. But also, it seems like they're setting up a bit of a uh, fascism versus communism thing. <laughs> when you think about how uh, how Cocoon is run versus how how Pulse is run, or at least Oerba. I mean, is Oerba run by anything at this point? <laughs> I mean, they mentioned that everything is shared and everyone lives together. It feels very much like a, like a commune or a, or a kibbutz or something. Yeah, around this time, I started getting access to high-level Ravager skills like Aroga and Thundaga. There's not much to say about them, except that they are very powerful and can knock enemies off of their feet, even if like the enemy isn't staggered. And that's like really useful sometimes. I like got a lot of mileage out of that tactic in this, this later part of the game. I really wish I had Thundaga for this section. Yeah, oh, Thundaga is so good. The toughest fights in these caverns are definitely the Phalanxes and their Hoplite allies. Deep in this cavern is a fight against a Phalanx and three Hoplites, which, yeah, again, did not have a hard time with because Box Phalanx is also very little HP. I didn't experience that. I tried rushing them and they just took forever to take down. I don't know what it was. Probably just a, I was trying to do a different party comp than you guys, and I guess I just picked a bad one. 
It, the, okay, the problem is is that your party compositions with that setup that you have are all very modal, so you can't really mix and match what you're doing very well. You're either on the offense or on the defense, and if you go on the defense versus these guys and try to deal with the hoplites, they just summon more, and you're stuck in this forever war. Right, and then, and then the hoplites get buffed, and then they just take down your sentinel, and then you're really screwed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so... The the one with the the bridge, this was the one where it got real tough. Like I managed to skate by with using a summon, and then after that, there's a single rust flan, and then a save point, and then this very hard boss battle coming up. And I got to the point where I went, okay, I got to go back and grind, but I can't beat this mob on the bridge again. Like I thought I was going to have to grind this rust flan, and I managed to. I switched up my party to to the ladies' party. It went a lot better because lightning has you know, more lightning stuff. And that's really good with these guys. So I ended up being able to grind my way past it. But ugh, like I was real scared I would have to grind a flan for five hours, guys. I think the only expectation they have right now is that you maybe did like there's on your way to the plot here. There's like a chain of seed stones that all all like on the way. Mm-hmm. And I think that would probably net you like an extra 50k. So that's only like an extra stat note or two. So I really, I, I don't know what's up other than that you tried to do a non-orthodox party and then the game punished you for it. Heroes find their way outside and find some flowers that Vanille recognizes from her home village of Oreba. Fang tricks Vanille into admitting that Fang turned to Ragnarok before they turned to crystals years ago. Fang and Vanille argue, and Vanille's hips start to shine. The Eidolon Hecaton chair appears, and Fang and Vanille get ready to fight. This cutscene is very goofy, because... Vanille's like, oh, look how nice nature is. And Fang's like, that's cool, but I definitely destroyed the world. <laughs> right. Like going back to chapter nine, Vanille goes, I need to tell you about something to, to Fang. And Fang's like, tell me later. Ten hours later, they she still didn't bring it up and has to be tricked into admitting the thing she knows. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's one of those things where Vanille had an opportunity to do the right thing and then chose to do the wrong thing again. Yeah, she tried to keep it secret, but uh, hips don't lie. Damn it, you beat me to that joke. I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was like, where's my opportunity? I was so excited for that joke. We should say that, like, Vanille, like, to remind everyone, Vanille's brand is on her hips. Her, her hips one hip. singular, yeah. <sighs> so She's wielding dual brands. Well, no, no, it's hips as in the concept of hips, not hips as in plural. But she's really a hipster. Uh, okay. Yeah, so you you fight Hecatonsher using only Fang and Vanille. You may want to just back out of this fight. You can reset your paradigms. Follows the the normal at this point. Idolin plots of switching in and out of 
relentless physical attacks. You can use chains and debilitations and heal up and you'll have two saboteurs on your team, but mostly you're going to be just trying to fill up his chain gauge. Oh my god, dude, I did this, I caught that. I know you're doing it on purpose now. I did this fight like five times because I never upgraded Vanille's weapon ever. This was absolutely the hardest fight in the game for me. I eventually wound up having to have like the paradigm deck of uh, Saboteur, Saboteur, Ravager, Commando, and Medic and Sentinel, and I like skated by with like 30 on the clock again. I succeeded this fight, but it was the closest one yet for the Eidolon fights, with uh, Vanille's Doom counter below 300. It's the same story as, as always, try to defend when Hecaton is attacking and go on the offense between his assaults. Yeah, this one was a wall for me. Like, when I first got here, even with, like, perfect play on switching up my paradigms, I could only fill up the gauge two-thirds of the way before I would run out of time. And it was like, I'm attacking, I'm debuffing, I'm you know, healing, I'm doing all the things. It just, the numbers weren't large enough to fill up the gauge. Because this one fills up super slowly. I don't know what it is. But, you know, after doing some grinding, I came back and I, yeah, I just skated in under the skin of my teeth. And I Gross! Under the skin of your <sighs> teeth? That's disgusting. By the skin of my teeth. Uh, under the wire by the skin of my teeth. So. Wait, how, why do your teeth have skin? Why do you skin? have wires under your teeth? <laughs> why do your teeth have skin? Uh, idioms, guys. Idioms. Uh, mixing my idioms up. But yeah, I got like super good at timing, like when the pummel starts because it's a you know it's a big combo, and even with like really really tight play, I was easily within like fifty to thirty ticks left. So this guy's name comes from Greek mythology because he's supposed to have a hundred hands. That's what this means. But I counted on his model. And he has 15 hands. So I think that the developers were really lazy, and I don't like this boss. (laughs) Yeah, and he also, the transformation is real goofy and weird. Yeah, it turns into, like, a mech, but, like, all the hands make, like, a cannon. It's called a Kamehameha when you do that, (sighs) I guess. Uh, Yeah, it looks like, uh, oh, God, like, one of the walkers from Metal Gear Rising or something. I don't know. It's, It's real strange. Yeah. Anyway, so after this battle, Fang gestures to punch Vanil, but instead gives her a love tap on the head and a hug, and Vanil feels bad about all the things that she's done. So after this, we go back into the caves, right? And then there are a few encounters where enemy pods are fighting each other. There's a bonus dungeon? Where? Apparently, there's a bonus dungeon in the later parts of uh, Mahabara that you cannot... Enter initially, it opens up later after the player has visited the Sulia Springs because it houses a high-level Seath mark. It's considered post-game. Where the fuck is this dungeon? I'm actually looking for a mark that's in here. It's it's in like a like an offshoot that you can't access initially. It's just well, no, I, I'm in I'm in the post-game and I'm looking for a thing that is apparently in this hidden dungeon. All right, well, I'll link you the map later. That'd be great. That'd be great. In the later parts of Mahabara, there's another juggernaut that is identical to the one fought earlier in the side path, but since there are no treasure spheres, I did not bother. I tried this guy a few times, but could not beat him. There was no treasure sphere back there? Jesus. No. Nope! Why? Not on this one. The one earlier, there was the collector's catalog. He's just chilling out, you know? Uh, I mean, they're supposed to be around for this cutscene, so... You know what? 
there's not e- oh yeah okay that makes sense because I was gonna say there's not even a shortcut it's not like if I beat this guy I skip all the other fights on this side you can't jump off anywhere it's just I fought this guy I guess mm-hmm. alright well anyway while the gang is examining the spinball foul sea some more Hope finds a mech crashes it into the ditch where the foul sea spins around and before he is crushed by Sonic a number of juggernauts come to his aid and stop Sonic then they climb aboard Sonic. Uh, I do like in this scene that uh, Atmos has had like these bright red spikes and then they turn black, which is like a good just visual clue that they was just like heated by pure friction. Right. Like, I like that. Uh, and then we go into uh, the new area that we're going into. Uh, Celia Springs, when we get off of Atmos is uh, I love it. It's got like. Great bioluminescent moss. There's water everywhere. You have this, like, dope god ray through the waterfall. It has unique music for this area. It like, the whole thing is just very nice. I definitely hung out here for a few minutes. Yeah, I'm always down for bioluminescent moss. It's too bad that this section is just, it's like 20 minutes. There's nothing. They could have made the mine shorter and made this longer, and I would have been happy. Okay, there you go. Because before you said made the mind shorter, I was like, "Are you? do you really want them to make it longer? <laughs> no, I meant like this area is different and interesting and feels more nature-y in a way that, you know, aligns with what they're trying to do with Pulse and throwing a minds level in. Like we did a minds level. Basically, Vi- Vile Peaks is very much like a minds level. So like we didn't need this palette here. I, I don't know. What is literal garbage? And then mines are where you get figurative garbage to kill your planet. They're very different, Matt. Mm-hmm. Sure. Snow brings out Sarah's tear to stare at it some more. Vanille asks him about Sarah, and it flashes back to day nine where Vanille and Sarah are hanging out on Bodum Beach. In Vanille's narration, she states that her plan was to ignore her focus until she went seeth, but ignoring her focus just caused more problems for other people. Vanille's feeling guilty about the curse she placed on Sarah, and Sarah tells Vanille that if she can't handle facing up to her problems, she should put off until she's ready. Sarah says that she dreamt she was supposed to destroy the world. I like this scene. They finally, like finally, like 40 hours into the game, successfully humanized Vanille, like, for me, right? And also just on a completely cast-off platitude, Vanille lashes on to Sarah saying, if something's too hard, face it later. And like Vanille's entire personality for this game has been oriented around this. Like overall, I like the scene a lot because Vanille directly apologizes knowing that Sarah is a lessee, but Sarah doesn't have the side information that Vanille knows she knows. Like, I like it. But she knows that she doesn't know that she knows that she doesn't know. So it's okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, so this is a bit of a controversial statement, but I feel like this scene really cranks up the gay baiting for uh, for Vanille because we haven't really talked about it yet, but there's some sapphic overtones between Vanille and Fang, and I think, like, it may be apocryphal, but supposedly Fang was designed as a male character first, and she got changed to be a female character, and some people think they didn't change the script enough to really take out those overtones, or I don't know. Like, some people do read them as an item and oh i definitely been reading it that way <laughs> yeah well i mean not necessarily it's that's the case but it definitely seems that way to me 
And in this scene in particular, you know, Sarah's talking about, I have something to say, or I had something that I was struggling with that I needed to say to somebody. And my boyfriend came in and made it all right. And that's how re- romantic relationships are going to work. And then Vanille goes, well, I got something to tell somebody too. <laughs> it's like a one-to-one comparison of this sort of like, oh, you're talking about how romantic relationships work with communication? Oh, I have one too. And, you know, also talking about, you know, going back to Vanille talking about not having a special person and lying about it at Nautilus. And like, there are a lot of flags here. And it doesn't help that this scene ends with Vanille on her knees with her face practically up Sarah's ridiculously short skirt. It's just, I don't know. This this scene definitely like cranks that thing up to 11 for me. And also Sarah's advice is really bad. Like you, you shouldn't avoid difficult things because they're difficult and wait till the best time because as we've seen with this plot, Vidal just never gets around to doing it. And that's what happens when you say, I'll worry about that later. And like the, the song they literally play in this scene is called Face It Later. The entire game happens because Vanille is like, nah, I'll do it later. It's all Sarah's fault. <laughs> I blame Sarah. In the present, out of the flashback, Snow is thinking about Sarah's Ragnarok dream and her turning to Crystal after gathering them all together and Dysley claiming that the goal is to destroy Cocoon. And he concludes that Sarah's focus wasn't to destroy Cocoon, which strengthens his faith even more. That's so dumb. Mm-hmm. There are enemies around here, including the uh, Ceratosaur, which is like a, a land fish, land shark thing. They could inflict deprotect, but otherwise it's not really got anything out of the ordinary about it. It's a commander enemy. It can coordinate attacks from other Theretosaurs and call for reinforcements, which we've seen before. We've seen the other enemies that are able to do that, but that's that's really all that there is about this guy. I will say later on, they really like fuck you by the fact that their names are almost identical and they look almost identical. Uh, There's like a hunt where there's like 10 of the minion class and one of the leader class and they hide his name three quarters down the list off screen. So if you're not paying attention, this fight just goes on forever. Is that the one in Orba? Yeah, the no, one with no the... that's the one uh, It's in the Chocobo area. Okay, because there's one like that, which is the warp stone to Orba. That's yeah, also, it's not quite that bad, stone. but it's close. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, one's a Ceritosaur, and the higher one is the Ceritoraptor. But aren't raptors a type of a dinosaur? So aren't all Ceritoraptors also Ceritosaurs? I think... I think that they, they, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm dinosaur race blind, so I had a hard time with this because I didn't even notice. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have uh, Orobons, which are Sahagin-type enemies that hit quickly and relentlessly. Their water attack can inflict slow and daze, and when they get low on HP, they buff themselves with haste and other things. The first enemy group here is a quintet of the Ceratosaurs, and they're not very hard, 
But when you start mixing them in with the uh, Ceratoraptors and the Ourobans, like the fights do get a little bit difficult. There's a, a particular fight with two Ourobans and two Sores, and it's very easy to get overwhelmed because your whole party is slowed, and there's just a more and more of the little dudes coming into the fight and mobbing on you, interrupting all of your attacks that take forever to charge up anyway. A lot of the treasure around here is just component stuff. The Sulia Springs theme has a high-pitched electronic humming that sounds like the treasure theme, so it can be confusing. Also, I should mention that there's a little side quest here where you go to the edge of the lake and you look at like something in the water, and it's Bismarck, the foul sea. And that what that does is it raises a couple of platforms with some hard enemy encounters, but some really good treasure. So you might want to do that. I'm going to have to go back now. <laughs> yeah. Zaz is thinking about dodge some more. They stop for a rest, and the player is treated to a CGI cutscene. Light and Snow get to talking about a field of electric dandelions. They have a conversation, and Lightning gets violent at Snow, and when she asks if he and Sarah are getting married, there's more talk about how Lightning is inspired by Snow, and when Snow begins to doubt himself, Lightning reassures him that he cannot let doubt into his heart. I don't believe that anybody's inspired by Snow. No. <laughs> no. Like that's the game telling me that. It's not the game showing me that. No. Damn it. I tried to come up with a Nora joke, but I couldn't. You win this round, Marcus. I didn't do anything. And with that, uh, heading on to the Taijin Tower, we're going to take a break because this is an incredibly long chapter and I don't need another chapter nine in my life. So wrapping up the first half of chapter 11, does anybody have any initial thoughts? I do not, because it's just you fight a lot of guys and nothing happens. This is the best chapter. <laughs> I think so. If it, Even if it goes on too long, I think the places you travel through are very interesting. I like the, a lot of the fights, especially like all the you know side quest stuff you can do. It's probably refreshing for a lot of players to have a little bit of open-endedness. Besides the you know grandeur of the step and first getting to Pulse, which I didn't have a lot of time to explore now, but that's really cool. The whole mine section and, you know, up through uh, the Eidolon fight, it was suffering for me. This was the worst part of the game. Dude, mines are just dirt sewers and mines 2018. (laughs) (laughs) At least there wasn't a mine cart section. I mean, like, Atomos is like a giant mine cart, I guess. But anyway, yeah, so not a huge fan of this part. The second half gets a lot better for me. Justin, you want to do your, like your actual answer? I mean, no, I, I, I no, think that, that was a real the, answer. That, Why that are you was... demeaning his answer, you dick? He's a guest. For real, I do think that this is the best chapter. <laughs> it actually is, probably. Yeah, true. Even though I, I really actually like what a lot of people criticize about this game, in that it's just a combat hallway, but I, since I like the combat, that's not a bad thing. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah, I no, I like that, that it's it, they they were confident enough in their design that they were just like we have a we have a good idea for what we think is a fun thing and you either like it or you don't. But mm-hmm. I think that this is where they uh they sort of get their time to shine with their design that is not how shall we say combat hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really just like all the scenery, I like the music, I like running around, I like that there are some side quests to do. I feel like they should have done these side quest type things a little earlier. Maybe when they were at the the Chocobo Carnival would have been a good time to throw in some some side quests. But this is the first time we're getting them. 
You don't. You mean you don't think hide and seek with a chocobo when it tells you where he is on the mini map is a meaningful side quest? Not really. <laughs> but, you need okay. more uh, carnival games like uh, snowboarding or <laughs> rock paper scissors punching. Yeah, or CPR. What a good mini game. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, no, I just I I think, and especially I think that this, like I said before, the the way that this game does scale is one of the best to this day senses of communicating you as a very small object because of how it slow rolls it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Anyway, that's what I got. All right. Uh, you can email the show via contact at lightningstrikesthrice.com or you can use our contact form on our website, lightningstrikesthrice.com. I'll be running the Twitter, which is lightxthrice, and the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash lightxthrice. You can listen to my other podcasts on the network, Magmar Sucks, where we're building an ordered list of all Pokemon from most to least interesting one Pokemon at a time. Do you guys have anything to share with the listeners? No new plugs for me. Uh, just a uh, Let's Play on New Threat, a gameplay mod for Final Fantasy VII. You can listen to my podcast, Red Pages Podcast, conveniently located at redpagespodcast.com. It is a developer interview podcast where we interview developers, surprisingly, about the games that they made. We actually had a few authors on as well, like Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, if you saw that movie or read that book. Yeah, it's a good time. I would say check it out. See if there are anybody uh, that, that whose stuff you like that you can listen to an interview for, and maybe you'll learn something about how games or books get made. Also, you can check out the game that I helped make called Frog Fractions 2, available on Steam if you know what to search for. Well, since I don't know what to search for, I'll just have to say, you've been listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a pitch drop podcast. We'll see you one week from now where we finish talking about chapter 11 and just the giant tower of fuck you that it contains. (laughs) Goodbye for now. This podcast was brought to you by the Pitch Drop Podcast Network. Like what you just heard? Support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pitch drop. And while you're at it, check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows. <laughs>